Thank you so much for joining us today for Declaration's online message. I'm Daniel, one of your pastors at Declaration. And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We wanna know more about you and for you to know more about who we are. I wanna invite you to text CONNECT to 43000. You will receive a link to an online connection card. So do me a favor, fill it out. We wanna connect with you. Also, everyone's invited to attend our in-person worship services every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. at Snyder Elementary in Spring, Texas. Hey, check out this video of some upcoming events you don't wanna miss. Hello, Declaration family. I'm Aaron, and I wanna take a minute to fill you in on some things you don't wanna miss. So whether you're joining us online or here in person, welcome to church. Parents and students, it's not too late to sign up for Camp 220 for completed sixth through senior high. These are more than just camps. They're, they're incredible encounters with God. There are great things in store for the students of Declaration this summer, and to learn more and to register, visit the Declaration website. Hey, save the date. Everyone is invited to a night of worship and prayer right here at Snyder Elementary on July 11th at 7 p.m. This will be a night of intentional pursuit of the heart and spirit of God you do not want to miss. Child care will be provided for babies through pre-K. At Declaration, we believe that generosity is giving back to God the first portion of what He has so generously given to us. So join us and pray. Ask the Lord what He would have you give and then just be obedient. To give through Declaration, you can give by visiting our website, declaration.org, text GIVE to 43000, or place your offering in one of the gift boxes in the lobby. If you're visiting us for the first time, we want you to know that we consider you a part of the family and we would love to get to know you. Do us a favor and text CONNECT to 43000 and fill out a connection card right there on your phone. You can also scan the seat back in front of you or find a connection card at the response tables. Okay, that's all we have. You can find more information about everything you heard today at declaration.org or the Connection Center in the lobby. We're so glad you joined us for worship today. today anybody <laughs> I love that video Kelly leans over is, is pastor Aaron saying and if you're visiting with us for the first time today we do actually believe in air conditioning but uh evidently uh weather did not love us this last week a little bit and it knocked some things offline and so bear with us we're going to take up a special offering in here in a minute to pay for that AC to get in we're just playing all right hey if you're in fifth or sixth grade we would love to send you out in style as we welcome everyone joining us online in the online fam oh come on you can do better than that I know it's hot but come on show them some love 
Uh, we also have, just in, in the spirit of just, you know, just continuing with some fun things to tell you, since it's so hot today, we got a special treat. Um, we're going to pass out some, uh, uh, what are those things called? Popsicles, all right? So everybody gets a popsicle. Thank you for being at church today. They're coming around. They've got a little wipey for you and everything, so you don't have to worry about messing up your shirt, and it's going to be all good. So go ahead and grab that popsicle. You are not going to offend me at all. Since we're going to be preaching on Hades today... I thought I'd give you a little taste of a popsicle before we do a salvation message. <laughs> yeah. Well, briefly, um, let me just say, uh, man, Friday night, we had DNA 2. Who is, was anybody in the house that was at DNA 2 Friday night? Come on, somebody. It was incredible. We heard some testimonies, just brief little testimonies. You know, there was, a, there was someone that said, you know, um, they learned about how their passions given to God, began to be confirmed. Um, people are starting to find out, you know, things about how God has created them and, 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 and then how God created a space of leadership and influence for them. And, and so we want you to be a part of DNA too. Um, you know, wh- why? Why would we ask that? Well, because we want to help you discover all that God has created you to be. And so I want to encourage you, next time you see DNA 2 pop up on that announcement reel, man, sign up if you've not done it yet. I, I really believe in the things that God is doing through DNA 2. It's, it's equipping and it's, it's sending, it's empowering people to begin to step into their, their God-created passions and purposes and helping them find some discovery in that. So we want you to do that. Speaking of DNA 1 as well. Uh, we want you to understand the values and the vision of the house, the heart of the house, and how you can plug into that and become a, a member that makes a difference of the family. And so we would love for you to do that. Don't forget also, really briefly, July, everybody say July 11th. Say it loud and proud, July 11th. Now, I know you're trying to eat that popsicle, but look, July 11th is going to be such a great, great evening right here with a night of prayer and worship, and we want everybody to be a part of it. Um, we're going to have a special time that night as we just pray over all that God is about to do in the days to come through 220. Everybody, come on, set 220, everybody. Last but not least, again, parents, please hear me. I'm going to hound you and hound you and hound you this time every year. There's only so many opportunities for your students to be fully immersed in just the thickest place of the presence of God like this. I promise, listen to me, you can go on vacation nine other weeks of the summer. Your kid's gonna work for the rest of their life and they've got about 350 some odd more days to try to be that D1 athlete. Are you hearing me? It is the most important thing that you can do and here's why. My life would not be what it is today had it not been for a God encounter through a youth camp like that. And so I just want your kids to have that opportunity. I really do. I know family vacations are important. I know Chick-fil-A is God's holy chicken, and they work there, and that's awesome. And I know they can throw a football and a baseball, but I promise you, they've got a 100% chance of standing before God one day. And so please, please, please take this seriously. Money is not the no. We've got people who work tirelessly. They raise funds so that money will not be the no. And adults, you can go too. There's plenty of places for you to serve. If you want to get in the presence of Jesus like that, just, my dad used to say, people are scared of it. They're afraid it's going to get on them, right? I want that. I want that. So let's do it, all right? All right, can, one, one, before we dive in, can we pray? If you're going to Portland as a missionary um, here coming soon in the next few days, are anybody in the house going to Portland? Anybody, Bueller, Bueller, Bueller? Come on, stand up if you will. I can't see you. Come up, come up here. Oh, Maddie, come here. Anybody else going to Portland? Come on down front if you're going to Portland. We want to pray for you real fast. 
Are you the only one? Are you the lone representation? Okay. Well, we're going to pray for you, Maddie. I know you got a team going with you. Would you just extend a hand? We're about to send out some missionaries to Portland, Oregon to do some, some work. And so, Father, we thank you for... The team that's about to go, Lord, to Oregon, we pray for uh, fertile soil. We pray for open hands, open hearts, open ears. God, we pray your protection. We thank you for the provision that you provided in order to get them there. And Lord, now I pray that you confirm the work of their hands. God, we bless you and we just send them with the blessing of a heart of the house that is so supportive for the gospel and what you're doing in Oregon through these people. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, come on, let's give the Lord just one hand a big praise for a second before we dive in. All right, yeah, we're gonna do this. I'm gonna just start bringing the towel every week now. All right, as we continue our series, What the Spirit Says, turn to the book of Revelation, chapter two, and we're gonna catch up with the fourth city and the fourth church in the series of letters that Jesus had asked the disciple John to write. He's writing from his position of exile, his position of punishment, which was the Isle of Patmos. We remember that, that he's being persecuted. John's being persecuted in this moment. He's, he's in a moment of great tribulation because of his witness and because of his testimony of Jesus. He's not alone in this persecution. We saw that in Revelation 1. I think we've got that passage. He knows that he's a partaker, as he calls it. So he's, he's writing as not only um, just here's the words of, of Jesus to these churches, but he's writing as an encouragement even to us. Remember, it's prophetic language that we're reading. So there's so many things that John is saying to these churches that are very relevant and applicable to us right now. Um, he's, he's getting this vision through the glorified Christ. And so he's writing these things. The first letter we saw to the church of Ephesus, um, theologians call them the loveless church. That's kind of the context. The second letter to the church of Smyrna, which we knew to be the persecuted church. Last week, we looked at the church of per. Pergamum, and uh, we saw that that was the culturally compliant church, and that didn't work out so well. This week, I want to turn our attention to a city called Thyatira, Thyatira, and I want to examine this letter that John wrote to the church there. So, if you will, let me go to Romans. If you will, go to Romans. Or, I'm sorry, Revelation, chapter two. We'll be in verse 18 through 29, and follow along. I'm going to read it real fast. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and she leads my bondservants astray so that they would commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent and she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds." And I will kill her children with plague and, and, and hearts, and I will, I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest of you who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold firmly until I come. The one who overcomes and the one who keeps my deeds until the end, I will give him authority over the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are shattered as I have also received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. 
Father, we just ask that you would make yourself known. And Holy Spirit, that you would empower your word this morning to be living and active and breathing. God, it would change us. It would mold us. It would break our hearts and heal our hearts at the same time. God, it would, it would comfort the afflicted and it would afflict the comfortable, we pray, God. Would you guard me from error and would you guard the house from offense? God, give us ears to hear. And we pray in your name. Amen. Well, as we saw last week, listen to this statement. Tolerance is a poor virtue of a people who do not believe in anything. Did you hear that? Tolerance is a poor virtue of a people who do not believe in anything. Or maybe because there's a difference between uh, an idea or an opinion and a belief and a conviction. So maybe we should say tolerance is a poor virtue of a people who don't have conviction to stand for anything, at least deep enough to stand. We saw how that worked out for the church at Pergamum. Many there slid down this slippery slope of tolerance, which led to a level of compliance to their culture, which ultimately led to alliance with the devil. So today I want to look at this, this other church who struggled with tolerance. But before we do, I want you to hear me say this. Um, n- not all tolerance is bad. In fact, there's a level of tolerance that's biblical. We see it. Paul talks about it. He commands us um, in multiple uh, different epistles, if you will, to different places and churches to bear with one another. I'm going to give you just two. Colossians 3.13. Paul is speaking to the church at Colossae, and he says, Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And then all of a sudden, also to the church at Ephesus, Paul writes his letter and he says this, and I think Ephesians 4, I believe it is, yeah, 4 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. So, in essence, Paul instruct, he, 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 he instructs a level of tolerance with people, but listen, his definition of tolerance is focused on a willingness to offer grace, knowing that grace means this, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. So he's willing to offer the riches of God paid for by Jesus Christ. He's willing to give this grace, if you will, to people. Um, not, however, acceptance or alignment with that which may grieve the heart of God. However, in this context of the church, believers of Jesus who assumingly is full of people, they're pressing toward godliness, they're pressing toward truth, they're pressing toward holiness, they're pressing toward righteousness. Paul even gives a little attitude for those growing. Look at Romans 14, verse 1. He says this. He says, um, now accept the one who is weaker in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. See, the challenge is that it all goes sideways when we choose to become so tolerant to the culture and its opinions that we become accepting and affirming and even agreeing with people or or any beliefs or opinions that are contrary or contradicting to the heart of God and to the truth of the word of God. So as we saw last week, this can devolve into forming an alliance with that which by design will separate us from a passionate, abundant, purpose-filled, and blessed life that God created us and purposed us for. On some level, this is what's happening inside of every church in Revelation that received a letter, but especially in, in um, Pergamos, and we'll see especially in Thyatira. So let's go back to Revelation 2, starting in verse 18. It's about 40 miles south of Pergamon. We find Thyatira. 
which was the least important, listen to me, it was the least significant of the seven cities. It was the smallest city of the seven who received letters. But ironically, though the smallest city, they received the longest letter from John. Well, even still, though unimportant in so many ways, Thyatira was, it was a city that was noted for being a military town. It was known for its abundant crops. And, and even though very small, Thyatira was a center of business and trade. Um, it even possessed more trade guilds than any other town its size in all of Asia, um, which we learned from different inscriptions that had been found throughout the years. Now, a trade guild, um, you may say, well, well, what's a trade guild? I'm so glad you asked. A trade guild was basically associations of people um, of the same craft or trade who organized together for mutual protection and for social and religious benefits. Now, immediately, maybe your mind goes to something like a labor union. But in ancient biblical times, it was more like a fraternal order, not a labor union. Um, unlike labor unions, trade guilds weren't as concerned for things like wages or conditions of labor or even hours that are worked. They were focused on things like building societies worth, you know, um, with mutual benefits to defray the cost of things like funerals when things would happen. They were focused on um, you know, being together um, for more for pleasure, um, more for social intercourse, if you will. Th these guilds would rise up in places in areas and cities where manufacturing centers would be located because those places areas areas and cities had all the raw materials necessary for the businesses to thrive. So that's what the trade guild was. Now, interesting to note also about guilds. No one ever, they were net, no one was ever permitted to leave this trade guild once they were enrolled. Not only that, um, sons were required to follow the trade of their fathers. Therefore, that would likely lend for them to be the members of that same guild as they would grow, which would speak to legacy and family and, in, you know, exclusivity, if you will. One other thing is, you know, interesting and I thought about guilds is that wherever guilds would be found, idolatry and immorality were also found. So wherever you had these trade guilds, you'd have idolatry, idolatry and immorality. Um, these were two great enemies of the early church. They're, they're, they're two great enemies of the church today. And, and every time you would see a trade guild, most always often immorality and idolatry were present as well. With Thyatira being known for having many, many trade guilds, yet fairly insignificant, even rather dismissed, honestly, as a city, Thyatira was famous for one thing. It was famous for manufacturing purple dye, which was used for the dyeing of cloth for garments. Now, though insignificant and small and rather dismissed, we see Lydia from the city of Thyatira mentioned in the book of Acts, chapter 16. She is actually noted, and it talks about the purple fabrics. It says she was a worshiper of God. So historically speaking, know this. Listen, there's, there's no record of the Christians of Thyatira suffering any significant political or religious persecution. But as a city, even though we have a shout out, still very insignificant, it was a hot mess when it came to religious idolatry, which was probably why... The message that Jesus gave John for them was so long. So with many active trade guilds in Thyatira, each guild would have their own patron deity from the Greek or Roman pantheon of gods that they would worship. 
So with all of that being the backdrop, knowing this is what this city was like, let's dive into John's letter. From the beginning, we see the typical form. He's going to start with an introduction to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Write this. He says this. The son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze, says this. I know your deeds. Now, we just got to pause right there in the introduction because there's a lot to be learned just right there in those few words. I mean... We see some very important things. First of all, the use of the phrase, the son of God, was very intentional to the people of Thyatira. Jesus, he he introduces and describes himself with this title. It recognizes his deity. Now, in Jewish thought, to be the son of something meant that you had the nature of that thing. Let me give you some examples. The son of a sorceress in Isaiah 57 Um, That would mean the sons of the sorceress had the nature of the sorceress. Um, Mark chapter 3, the sons of thunder, um, they had the nature like thunder. Therefore, for Jesus to call himself the son of God, he's saying, as the son of God, I have the divine nature of God. That's what he's saying to these people in Thyatira. Also, this city boasted a special temple in the heart of it to Apollo, who to many in the day was known as the sun god, which would associate the source and so here's Jesus, he's, you know, um, he's saying, I am the son of God. Um, it's the only time in the book of Revelation we see this title being used. And he, he's using this intentional language to a people who would really understand the weight of his words so that in his message, which was actually a severe warning and it, was, it had judgment towards the, con- the congregation, he ties what they know, what they see day in and day out, what they've been used to worshiping in terms of deity, God. As they look at this temple to Apollo, he's, he's saying the Son of God to emphasize to them that actually he is the ultimate power and source and authority and deity. He is the Son of the true God. So the, 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 just the, on the get-go to the church of Thyatira from the Son of God, he's saying a whole lot right there. He's kind of ripping the rug out from under him. And then he says, eyes of fire. He's given emphasis to the idea that his eyes look upon them with the penetrating judgment. He says a, a feet like brass to give emphasis to the idea of purity because brass is pure when it's highly refined by fire. It also emphasizes the strength and the steadfastness. Why? Because brass was known to be the strongest metal in the ancient world. So Jesus is saying the son of the true God who has the nature, the power, the authority of the one true God who is pure, strong, and immovable, says this, I know your deeds. I know. I, the one who knows all, I've seen you. I know you. He may even be saying, I know that you may feel insignificant. I know that you may, you may always feel invisible when you're comparing yourself against other people, other cities. Other trades. Just that right there, I hope that's speaking to somebody right now. Because I'm sure to guess there's some people in the house that feels often insignificant and invisible. So in their cases, these other cities are compared. You know, many other cities were larger. Many other cities were richer. Many other cities, they had more influence, more authority, more power. But, but God still concerned himself with Thyatira. Are you hearing me, church? He was concerned with Thyatira. I can only imagine some in that city who may have compared themselves against Ephesus, who may have compared themselves against 
Pergamum, Smyrna. But God, but God, hey, listen. You may feel like you don't matter, but I want to tell you something. God sees your deeds. He sees your works. He sees. You may feel completely invisible. You may feel completely insignificant. But God still sees your works. And more importantly, God still sees your heart. See, nothing is hidden from Jesus ever. He says, I know your works. He says, I know your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance, your steadfastness. I know that even your deeds of late are even greater than the first. He's saying, I know of your, your, your sacrificial ministry for the sake of others. I know that your ministry is even increasing, characterized by faith, love, and patience. I know that you're not just phoning it in. You're authentically serving. You're giving of yourself from this pure, intentional heart. I know you're not doing this out of habit or duty or ritual. I know it's not just religious activity. It's really authentic. I know. See, in so many ways, the church at Thyatira was a model church, one to follow as an example. They had these great qualities. Look, they had this love for the Lord. They had a love for one another. They're willing to serve. They're faith. I mean, they've got this deep faith. They're patient. They're persevering, long-suffering, if you will. And not only that, but they're even growing even more passionate as they go, as evidenced by their actions. Their works of later are even greater than the first. See, they were growing in their love. They were growing in their giving. They were growing in their service. They were growing in their faith. They were growing in their patience. And here's where Jesus turns a corner. Remember our formula, introduction, approval. Here's the accusation. But no matter how great these things are, I have this against you, he says. That you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. And she teaches and she leads my bondservants astray so that they commit sexual immorality and they begin to eat things, even sacrifice to idols. See, these are significant problems worth Jesus calling out. And I think we got to take note of something very important right now. Because of all the great things that are happening, right? This, th there's a fan over here in Jesus' name. Thank you. Um, of all the great things that are happening, I think it's important for us to take note that the cent listen to me, the center of the corruption in the church at Thyatira was focused on one woman. That Jesus calls Jezebel. Now this may not have been her literal name. But more so. Maybe it's a spirit. In someone. Or a title. That clearly represents a self-professed. Um, prophetess within the church if you will. Obviously Jesus is an illustrating. He's illustrating his point. Based on Jezebel in the old Testament. We see this, we see her story in 1 Kings and 2 Kings. We see her story. The name Jezebel has a powerful association. Um, for example, theologian David Guzik, he, he says this, he once illustrated, imagine if you decided to call someone a Judas or a Hitler. Imagine. It's got a powerful association with it. So when Jesus says Jezebel, knowing that she was one of the most evil people in all of the Old Testament, 
I mean, let me just get, look, she attempted to combine the worship of Israel with the worship of Baal. It's that word again that we've been talking a lot about, syncretism. She, she's combining the worship of the one true God with the worship of Baal, which the worship of Baal was a Canaanite, Baal was a Canaanite deity that was associated with agriculture, believed to be the giver of life. Um, the Semitic word for Baal means Lord and Master. And the Canaanites believed that he was in absolute control over nature and people. See, many looked to Baal to be their provider for all their farms, for all their flocks, and for their families. Baal worship involved promiscuous sex, religious prostitution, and even sometimes it commanded human sacrifice by the killing of young children. And what they would do is they would sacrifice these babies and they would bury them in the foundations of a house or a public building at the time of construction. So Jesus is saying, with all the good that's happening in you, church, there's this one lady, this Jezebel, who's seducing and teaching and leading people away from truth, seducing people by appealing to their flesh, by appealing to the lust of their flesh, by inviting them into promiscuous sexuality, religious prostitution, justifying prostitution, in the name of religion, she's teaching people a doctrine of demons through syncretism. She's deceiving people into pagan worship, causing some in the church to commit sexual sins as well as to eat food that had been used in pagan worship. See, her goal was to pull as many people as she can into immorality, into idolatry, and sadly, she was finding a measure of success. She's probably even using the trade guilds to do this by using the mandatory social occasions to spread her deception and cause people to stumble. She's using the trade, I mean, even through something as simple as the food that they were serving at their celebrations. Now, imagine with me, if you will, a Christian who may be, that maybe this Christian is invited to a monthly meeting of the Goldsmiths Guild. Sounds like a fascinating time. <laughs> and imagine if that meeting would be held at the Temple of Apollo. Jezebel would often allow and encourage that man to go, perhaps even using a prophetic word to encourage him to go. And when that man went, he would fall into immorality and idolatry. Moral of the story, the spirit of Jezebel is actually alive and well. And the devil loves to assign the spirit on certain people. And the devil loves to put those people that have been captured by the spirit in certain places, certain churches. Why? Because his M.O., he wants to deceive, he wants to seduce, he wants to teach and lead people astray from Jesus and the truth of Jesus, so to draw people into immorality and idolatry. He usually starts slowly. Jezebel usually begins slowly, shrewdly, seductively. She, like the devil, her father, loves to use the power of suggestion. She'll move in cunningly. She'll gather information. She'll do her best to get close to leadership, especially men. And it's there where she'll get to do work. And this is exactly what's happening at the church of Thyatira. Listen, Jesus even told the church, I gave her time to repent. And she does, not want to she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. She loves feeding her flesh so much. She loves gratifying the lust of her flesh so much that she would rather continue in her idolatry, in her paganistic occult worship that will surely lead to her demise, to her death, rather than turn to the Lord of life. 
And listen, we can't miss this. Jezebel was given time to repent. I would assume, much like all of us, Jesus gives opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to repent. But rather than being obedient to the kindness of God who was giving her time and opportunity to repent, she apparently rejects the work of the Holy Spirit in her heart who is calling her to repentance. Man, may we never find ourselves so ensnared and so deceived that we outright reject the kindness of God, that we outright reject the compassion of Jesus, that we outright reject the, and ignore the call of the Holy Spirit because we've so given ourselves over to the lust of our flesh, allowing ourselves to be so deceived. Now it's here that Jesus warns the church of the consequence of comp compromising on their convictions. Look at verse 22. He says, Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness. I will throw her on a bed of sickness. What a relevant illustration that Jesus uses right here. I will throw her on a bed of sickness. Why? Why do I say that? Well, it's a fitting, it's a fitting illustration because it speaks to both the level of sexual and spiritual adultery. I mean, it's as if Jesus is saying, you know, since you so love an unclean bed, you made it, now lie in it. That's what he's saying. So I'll throw them over. I'll give them into a sick bed. And those who commit adultery with her, I'll place in a great tribulation unless they repent. You see the compassion there? Do you see the kindness? Unless they repent. But no, no, no. What happens is we get ourselves so caught up and so locked up, we just want to blame God because now we're dealing with the consequences. What is God doing to me? Why is God? No, no, God gave you the opportunity. God gave you the opportunities. Those who commit adultery with her, I'll place in a great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. And, and this is where it starts getting violent. So I'm going to kill their children with plague. I'm going to kill their children with a particular kind of death. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds. I search the inner man. I know the hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. You know what he's saying? Where there is no repentance, there will be no blessing. That's what he's saying. Culturally speaking, what does children represent to the ancient world? They should represent that to us too. Blessing. I will, take, I will remove their blessing where there is no repentance. Where repentance isn't found, trouble and tribulation will be. And so Jesus is saying, though you're doing so many things well, church, you're doing so many things well. He said, I want your everything. Not just those things. I want your everything. Verse 20, when Jesus says, I have this against you. And this struck me. In fact, I had to go back and rewrite part of this message because of this. I had to, that's why we're going to backtrack a minute. I have this against you. He says that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. And here's what I felt like the Lord was saying. This is why I had to go back and do some rewrite. He's saying, because you allow this, church. He's saying... You are in sin because you are allowing this. You are tolerating this. Not only this woman, but you're tolerating her teaching. You're tolerating her manipulation. You're tolerating her deception. You're tolerating her seductive ways. You're tolerating her sexual immorality. You're tolerating her idolatry. You're tolerating her pagan worship. 
and you are tolerating her pulling people away into that mess. You're, you're not standing up to her. He's saying, you're not standing up for truth. And watch this. You're tolerating her murdering babies as a part of their sadistic, paganistic practices and their lust of their own flesh. Any of that sound familiar? You're tolerating her outright appeal to and constant feeding of her flesh. Let me give you some examples, and this is where someone's probably not going to like me. If it feels good, do it. YOLO, hashtag YOLO. Let me just go ahead and go here. My body, my choice. That might as well be the banner cry for Jezebel. The lust of my flesh, my body, my choice. You want to know why I believe that's such an evil construct? Not because I'm against women, so don't soundbite this. It's an evil construct because it is the antithesis of what Jesus, our Savior, said when he said, this is my body broken for you. And we have the authority to shoot the finger in the face of God and say, my body, my choice. Who are we? Are we really that arrogant? Do we, are we really that audacious? That's why it's an evil construct. And it's the banner cry of the spirit of Jezebel. <laughs> this week, you know, the staff knows where we're going in these talks. And Leslie texts me one afternoon. She goes, how are you going to preach this Jezebel thing? And real quick, I responded, oh, it's easy. I'm just going to call out the Jezebels in the room like that. And I hear her laughing from downstairs. <laughs> got to break the tension a minute. Seriously. This spirit is alive and well. Can I tell you, there's been so many great churches, great churches with great influence and great impact who've had a great fall because the spirit of Jezebel crept in. And all it took was one person, one person to watch the whole cube of Jenga thing fall down. And it, again, we can't judge, let, let's not hate, the, let, let's not stop talking about, no, no, it's, it's, it's an evil spirit that the devil assigns. But guess what, where we're complicit, can I just tell you where we're complicit? W would you listen to me for just a second? When we invite it. When we invite it, when we're more geared for the lust of our flesh than the things of the spirit. Can I, can I just pause again? Not, this is not a commercial, but... I recognize the brokenness of my own life and just the propensity to sin in myself. Years ago, God brought me to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. Man, I, it's like I tripped over that curb and kept getting back up and kept running into that wall and tripping over that curb and kept getting back up and kept running into that wall and tripping over that curb because I recognize this right here, this is the fulcrum by which true Christianity exists. To be crucified with Christ, no longer I that lives, but it is he that... This is why I'm so passionate about people being a part of something that's in the summer for five weeks because the entire message of that whole entire ministry has been, let's come and starve our flesh and feed the spirit. You see, we become complicit when we just invite the lust of the flesh over and over and over. And Jesus said, yeah, you do a lot of things well, man. You serve, you give, you go, you're patient, you're faithful, you love, but you tolerate 
Jezebel. And with that, you tolerate everything Jezebel represents. And meanwhile, people around you are beginning to embrace her ways. And soon, future generations will begin to celebrate her ways. See, it doesn't matter how insignificant you feel you are. It doesn't matter how invisible you think you may be. It doesn't matter how small you may seem to feel. Jesus sees it all. He sees it all, and like Jezebel, he is calling this church, and he's calling us to repentance. I thought it was so fascinating to me that many commentaries, many theologians talked about the dismissive nature of people to Thyatira, the insignificance of the people of Thyatira, the city of Thyatira, just how small and not important it was. Yet, important spiritually enough that the devil would assign Jezebel to go reap havoc. And then I thought about us. Just how small and insignificant and dismissed we may feel sometime. Not, not, maybe as a church, not, but individually. But how much God loves us and God sees and how also the enemy knows and he's coming after us. So let's see how it ends. Jesus is admonition here is warning. He says, but I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold firm until I come. Stay faithful till I come. See, Jesus' promises, he's promising, I am coming for you. Remember the whole book of Revelation? God wins. It's the revelation of Jesus. His promise is that he's not going to leave you in this mess. He's coming for you, and he wins. He's saying, stay faithful, remain vigilant, stand firm, hold tight. He's saying, he, he, he's encouraging. Listen, he says, to the one who overcomes, to the one who keeps my deeds until the end, I'm going to give him authority over the nations. Hey, look, I realize how hard this is, how difficult this is. Man, you, you stand firm, you hold tight, you remain faithful, you overcome. And, and look, you're going you're gonna to receive um, from me, from my power, the authority over nations. You're going to rule means you're going to shepherd them with this rod of iron. As the vessels of potter are shattered, I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give them the morning star. And I love this. It's the only time he says it like this. And what he's saying is he's offering them and even, you know, the first two churches, I'm going I'm to show you eternal life. I'm going to give you the crown. I'm gonna, he says, no, I'm going to give you the morning star. Even something greater, even a greater reward than that of the kingdom. He's saying, I'm going to give you myself. I'm going to give you myself. Why do we know that? Because his title in Revelation 22 is the morning star. To the one who overcomes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Rule over nations. Shepherd them. Yeah. And I'm going to give you the morning star. I'm going to give you myself. To the one who has an ear, he says, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And as we've seen with every letter, the tone there goes from corporate to personal. To the one who has an ear, let him hear. Hey, listen, I don't know what God may be saying to you. But my prayer is that God is beginning to reveal how the spirit of Jezebel has tried to inch her way in to your life, to your marriage, to your family, to your children, to your workplace, to the church, to your serve team, to your small group. I pray that he's given us eyes to see. 
and a heart that's receptive to say, God, we want to repent from this. If we've been participating, if we've been opening the door and inviting it, if we've just chosen to let Jesus be an option, and most of the time not even the better option, if that's, if that's the seeds we're sowing into the fertile hearts of our children, I mean, that we would just start to repent right now. Because like I said, she'll start slowly. And trust me, she's very seductive. And she's very shrewd. I once heard a story. As we close, the bank can come. Of a certain African tribe that learned an easy way to capture ducks in a river. Anybody ever tried to capture a duck? Just me? No, I'm just playing. I, I, I ain't got that much energy. But So this tribe... Learning the easy way to capture ducks. So, you know, <laughs> catching a duck, that would be a feat indeed. But it would be a great dinner. So they, they, they come up with a plan. They learn to go upstream, right? And they would put a pumpkin in the river and let it slowly float down into the flock of ducks. Now, at first, the cautious you know, birds, fowl, ducks, whatever, they would quack and they'd fly away. They'd freak out and fly away. I mean, it's not ordinary to see this giant pumpkin, you know, floating down the river, right? But the persistent tribemen would subsequently, they'd float another pumpkin into the river down to the ducks. Now, again, they would scatter and then they would quickly return after that strange orange sphere had passed. So again, the hungry hunters float another pumpkin, right? This time the ducks would remain with a cautious eye, side eye in that pumpkin, looking at that pumpkin. And with each pumpkin that would pass, watch this, the ducks would become more and more comfortable until they finally accepted the pumpkins as a normal part of life on the river. Now when the natives saw that the pumpkins no longer bothered the ducks, they would hollow out the pumpkin and they put them on their head and they would walk into the water and they would meander into the midst of the tolerant ducks. And one by one, they would pull them down to the water and drown them. And roast duck would be on the menu that evening for dinner. Listen now, in the same manner, we can easily become deceived when we choose to listen to the spirit of Jezebel And we begin to tolerate the pumpkins of perversity. Are you hearing me? We can easily become deceived when we begin to allow ourselves to tolerate the pumpkins of perversity. We get used to them after all. Because day by day, they're constantly floating by, are they not? We may even conclude that some of these pumpkins, some of these sins, they're not that bad. They're not that big of a deal. Nobody knows anyway. I mean, what harm could they really do? And before we know it, we're going to be drowning in destruction. Would you close your eyes with me for a moment? May we not find ourselves under the same accusation of that of the church in Thyatira. 
Because trust me, the spirit of Jezebel is alive and well. So I've asked it every week. Let me ask it again. If we were to receive a letter, what would God be saying to us? And what can we learn from what God just said to this church in Thyatira? The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So what is the Spirit of God saying to you this morning? He's so kind, so compassionate, willing to give us time to repent. What is it? that Holy Spirit is trying to do. We're gonna open the altar. We're gonna open the response tables. This morning, I'm gonna just invite you to respond to the Lord. Prayer team is to your right against the curtain. If you need someone to pray with you, I just wanna invite you to respond to the Lord today. Maybe it's through a time of repentance and just Allowing the Lord to speak a word of mercy over you. Receive the knowledge that He's so loving and so forgiving. And He's faithful to do it. Maybe you would come to the table this morning through the communion, Lord's Supper, Eucharist, supplies that are on the response tables. And just spend that time with the Lord recognizing that it was His body that was broken for you and his blood that was spilled for you so that you could have this opportunity of repentance. Maybe it's a prayer against this very pervasive, adulterous, slanderous, seductive spirit because you're recognizing her evil ways, which is really just the devil coming after you, coming after your family, whatever it is. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning, right now? And as the band begins to lead us, would you just respond to him by saying, Jesus, I just need you, you and you alone. Would you step into my mess right now? Would you step into my situation right now? God, I know you're so kind. I just want you. You can have it all. I just want you. Father, would you move in us like only you can? If there's anyone here in this house that does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray right now that they would invite you to take complete control of their life, that they would fully surrender. Right now, that they would do that right now. Right now. Hey, listen, if that's you with your eyes closed, if you just said yes, I, 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 I'm, just, I'm surrendering to Jesus right now, would you raise a hand up just so I know who I'm praying with today? Would you raise a hand up? Keep it up until I see you. Anybody. So, Father, move in us. And may we not stand unmoved by you today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As the band begins to sing, I'm going to invite you to respond however the Lord is inviting you to respond to him, okay? Let's just be faithful. Let's be faithful in this moment. Hey, thank you so much for checking us out online today. If you need to make a decision about the next steps in your faith journey with Jesus, text CONNECT to 43000. And if you took the first step in your faith journey today by saying yes to Jesus, we want to know about it. And we want to walk with you. 
So text Jesus to 43,000. There you will find some resources and a message from Pastor John. There are so many ways to connect to Declaration. Check out declaration.org to find out more about who we are. Before we go, let's say our declaration together. Because of what the gospel has done in and to us, our lives exist to help people encounter and follow Jesus. We will devote ourselves to his word, his presence, and his people. We desire authenticity, intimacy, a heart of service, and to see his kingdom come. We are for Jesus and for people. Hey, have a great week. We're so glad you joined us. Bye for now.